This is How to Satisfy a Woman Every Single Time and Make Her Back for More by Nora Hayden. It really works. The first and only book that tells you exactly how. Uh, in a survey by Nora Hayden conducted when she wrote I Love You, Say It Out Loud in 1980, she interviewed 486 women and was astonished by the results. She 310 said that they faked orgasm every time they had intercourse. 124 said they faked orgasm most of the time they had intercourse. And 52% said they faked orgasm some of the time they had intercourse. Nora tells of her own experience in faking and how before her survey, she thought she was the only woman with this problem. After the results of the survey, Nora saw that the great need to write a book giving explicit details about how a woman can be totally satisfied by her mate every time they make love. And of course, when this happens, there will be no longer any need for any woman to ever fake it with her mate again. She has put together the first and only book that fully explains why almost every woman does not orgasm during intercourse and why the vast majority of fake orgasm um, during intercourse and what a man can do to guarantee a total orgasm during intercourse for this woman. To love, which is God, which is love, which is God, which is love, which is God. God, with infinite wisdom, gave us an enchantment of sex so that together we may joyfully pleasure each other and create a loving bond that will last a lifetime. Forward, 13, Introduction, 15, Big Bang Theory, 33, Teasing, 39, The Main Event, 43, What to Do If Your Man Won't Even Try, For Women Only, 49, Lovingness, 63, Fantasy, 71. I believe in marriage. I also believe in faithfulness in marriage. When one of the other of the partners is unfaithful, the bond of the marriage is broken, the trust is shattered, and when that happens, it is difficult, if not impossible, to keep marriage alive. To have a difficult, to have a faithful marriage, it takes two faithful partners, and each one of the partners, not just one, is sexually satisfied. There is no reason to be unfaithful. I believe God gave us our sex organs to bond us together and pleasure within our marriage, and through this incredible pleasure, to keep us faithful to each other as long as we both shall live. Almost all women fake orgasms. Women have done this since time began. I give reasons in chapter one. Not only are they missing out on one of life's greatest joys, but their husbands, and with the, with their husbands and lovers are missing out too. A woman faking pleasure and, and a woman pleasure to the depths of her being are two different women. A man's pleasure in sex is magnified tremendously when he has a partner who is giving and receiving the same orgasmic joys, the same explosions of ecstasy, the same expanding of self that carries her to the same far reaches of the universe to which he travels. A man will be loved as never before when he is able to give his woman the greatest pleasure he can give her, an orgasm. And when he can do this every time they make love, her love will know no bounds. She will never look at another man. She will never need another man. Their union will be bonded as long as they both shall live. Introduction. When I wrote the Isle of You, Say It All Out, I included it in a short part about sex. After all, the ultimate experience of love is making love or sex between two loving persons. I wrote about the Big Bang Theory and women faking it. As I mentioned in the book, I spoke to thousands of women who told me about the problems they had been satisfied during intercourse by their mates. I interviewed 486 women, not one of whom told me she never faked orgasm. Only 52 told me they occasionally faked it, whether it's 124 said they faked it most of the time and 310 they said they faked it every time 
I was astonished because I thought I was the only one who used to fake it. I wrote about how women can be pleasured so she'll, so she'll never have to fake it again. I only touched on the subject, but I didn't go into real detail. But the response to my TV appearances with the book was overwhelming. I got a letter from Kansas City newscaster saying that in all his years of broadcasting, he had never had such an incredible response. He said he had hundreds of women and even more men calling and writing him about that section in my book. And it was the same all over the U.S. TV and radio host from Houston, Detroit, Dallas, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, all contacted me with the same phenomenal reactions. On call-in shows, I received hundreds of calls from, from, from women women married 8 years, 20 years, 35 years, all telling me how they've been faking it all those years, their marriages. One woman I'll never forget who called me on the radio show in Miami told me she'd been married 33 years and had never had an orgasm and had been faking it for all that time. In a darling little old lady voice, she said it very hipply, you're telling me like it is, Nara? A radio show in Cincinnati told me she'd been married 14 years and she'd never had an orgasm. Of course, she didn't tell me this on the air. It was during a commercial break. This isn't something you talk about or I made in public. I spoke to a PR woman in Detroit who was married over 20 years and who had been faking it for 20 years. Every male talk show host who heard these calls was amazed and truly flabbergasted. They all said they couldn't believe it. All the women talk show hosts told me privately that having orgasm difficulties certainly was true for them. True. In fact, some of they admitted they never had one. Now, the reason it's so easy for women to call in and be so brutally frank is because all the calls are anonymous. On calling radio shows, you don't have to give your name, so these women could be extra honest about their sex lives. Women said they were tired of faking it and putting up with the Big Bang Theory, and men said they were anxious to find out how to really pleasure their mates so they wouldn't be any more faking orgasms. I love you, say it out loud, did very well, and I feel I reached a lot of people. But that section on sex was only a few pages, and I felt that after the incredible responses I had gotten, I needed to expand on what I knew. And bring my experience to help many more people. I needed to write this book on this very particular subject. There is a need for information that is truly staggering because this need for satisfying a woman has never been explained. There have been hundreds of books written about how to make love to a man. And they all tell about fancy and intricate and sexual things you can do to a man's body to arouse him. Now the thing that seems a little crazy is that it's really quite easy to arouse a man. But nature of his anatomy, arousal is not very difficult. I'm talking about a healthy male. Not a physically, mentally, or emotionally sick one. A man's sexual organs are all on the outside of his body and are easily stimulated. Seeing a woman pass by, indeed, thinking about seeing a woman or pass by is enough to arouse many men, and looking at a nude female can do more than just make him smile and breathe hard. Certainly boredom with the same dull partner can turn a man off, and at that point he might need technique from a woman to turn him back on. But why is his partner dull? Why is she boring? Can it be that she is bored out of her skull board because the pleasure is all one-sided. I strongly believe that when a man knows how to please a woman, it becomes a double turn-on, and boredom for both of them flies out the window. Sex only gets boring. Sex only gets boring when one of the partners is not enjoying it. There have been lots of books written about sex, and though they go into foreplay and courting and romance and all that, they all miss the main event. A man can be the greatest romancer and foreplay artist to get his woman aroused when it comes to the main event and he blunders unknowingly and the woman is also not knowing what he is doing but absolutely knowing it's all wrong. Pretends finally to have an orgasm because she knows that the way 
He's doing it. She'll never have one. And she wants to get the whole thing over with to end the boredom and her pain. And there have been lots of books written on how to arouse, arouse a woman. They describe foreplay in intimate detail with all kinds of lotions and props and weird propositions and all things to do to get her ready for an orgasm. But that's only half the story. Because as ready as she can get, the man doesn't know how to handle the main event intercourse. She's going to be very frustrated, unhappy, and unsatisfied woman. And I explained in the first chapter why she will probably fake an orgasm or else she'll just give up on the relationship that's when she starts looking around for another man and can you blame her now i believe only a woman can explain the intricates of satisfying a woman because a man can't possibly know this without female input as i said before a man just by nature of his anatomy is much more easily pleased than a woman he can't possibly know about the physical sensations are in a woman's body and up to now how was a man to learn about how to pleasure a woman? They sure don't teach it in school. They teach how to read and write and add and subtract and spell. You learn the capitals of every state and where Afghanistan is located, but you sure don't learn how to make love. And as I see it, making love is a lot more important than knowing how to conjugate verb or parse a sentence. So a man gets out of school and starts dating and probably having sex, and it's all hit or miss. He, does, he just does what women naturally comes naturally he gets satisfaction but the woman doesn't because he doesn't know what he's doing he fumbles and grabs and paws and all and because he feels good to him he thinks it also feels good to her but it doesn't and aside from wishing it feels better how is the woman to know that it should be any different she also doesn't learn anything in school about making love she's just as ignorant as he is the vast majority of men are definitely inept lovers but it's not their fault they can't you can't blame them how are they how are they to know any better and if women were any smarter on the subject they teach the men, but they aren't. So the men keep groping and the women keep faking. Another major reason for the girl's ignorance about sex is that almost all romantic novels dealing with scenes of explicit sex are written by men who believe that women love rough, tough, bang em up sex by, or by women who, having read these kind of stories, also think that's what will turn on their readers. After all, it does sound sexy. Why is it that everyone thinks a woman just needs a man to enter her to make her roll around wild-eyed in a crazy fashion and scream out in passion? I've heard it hundreds of times, and that's the main reason I thought there was something wrong with me when I didn't have an orgasm after being banged. I was brainwashed by writers of sexy fiction, and that's just what it is. Fiction, Playboy and Penthouse, and all the other men's magazines lead everyone to think that every really sensuous woman needs only to have a man enter her to have her scream with passion and writhe with desire. Some of the following excerpts are fiction and some purport to be true. I listed a lot of them because there are many in every book, that magazine around. And as many as I listed, I left out literally thousands more. Some are very well written and some are awful, but they all make my point. She arched, she arched both legs, girdling his hips, and she and impaled herself on him. He bore down her nails, sniffing his skin, and he pierced her. He began to trust at Fabian. She began to trust at Fabian, her body springing back as the tip of his flesh met her womb. Her body sundered, waiting for him to kneel into her, offering herself to a deeper quest. As she plunged beneath him, her eyes staring, her mouth trapping a scream, he moved into her again, a reeling of ebb and flow pulling her apart, buckling her in quivers of desire. He pushed her legs apart with his hands, and as she lay before him, spread-eagled, he mounted her. I'm going to unplug you, you bitch. His cock was enormous, and then there was only ecstasy as she watched. 
his waxing cock moving in and out. Don't take it away, she screamed. I love it. Keep fucking me. I love it. I love it. I love your gigantic, beautiful prick. Your hairy cock. I want it to pluck me forever. <laughs> As I entered her ass, she gave a soft moan of pleasure and begged me to go deeper. Ram it up, ram it up me, please. Ram it harder, harder. Soon my thrusts were so forceful that each one nearly knocked her over. As we reached orgasm, we were both moaning so loudly that we nearly drowned out the music. She was so hot by the time they had gotten to her cabin that as he untied her bikini, the very touch of his hand on her flesh caused her to shudder with orgasm. I positioned myself over her and started to thrust gently, but Linda would have none of that. She grabbed me by my ass and pulled me toward her so that my full seven inches were firmly embedded in her cunt. I started to thrust in and out until Linda started to lift her ass off the floor to meet my trust. She had to be the best fuck of my life because she really got into it. Not like most of the women I fucked who seemed to be very passive and require a lot of foreplay. His lovemaking, his lovemaking became frenetic, almost savage, but Karen, later, exhausted and sleepy, told him he was terrific. She lurched her bottom up and locked her legs around his back. He lowered himself into her and she began to writhe and grind her pelvis against him, muttering strange guttural sounds and grunts of pleasure. In a few moments, they were trusting and churning their bodies in a frenzy of excitement. Then she pushed herself down until she caught up his rigid member again and plunged herself upon it, bouncing up and down, flexing her legs, now squatting, now kneeling. Suddenly, she attained a shuddering climax. Kevin abruptly flipped me onto my back, entering me with one heart trust. As he began pumping furiously, I wrapped my legs around him and I could feel myself climbing to the heights of ecstasy in Two more fierce trusts, he joined me in the climax of a truly beautiful fuck. He peeled his hand away and without a pause at all, literally rammed his cock in her cunt so hard it caused his balls to strike her tummy and a low animal growl of pleasure emanated from her pelvis and erupted. I barely got the head in my 10-inch member into her when she pleaded with me to stop, but of course I did not. I fucked her ass so hard that it thought, that I thought she would never walk again, but somehow she handled it and begged me for more. With no warning, no gentle probe, he shoved his prick into Jana and fell on her simultaneously. He lifted himself out of her slightly and then fell again more deeply into her, grinding his hips into hers, pushing in and out, his balls slapping at the skin between her thighs. Jana smiled. By this time, she was begging for someone to ram a cock in her. I obliged and rammed all eight inches in and gave her a ride. Jack gripped her and drove himself into her. She clutched at him, trying not to scream. She felt how wildly, helplessly they struggled, how viciously her body grabbed at his in its agony to keep him with her and to force him with her, to force him again and again into her, how she needed him, how raw and crazy was her need for him. He fucked like a machine, refusing to succumb to an orgasm himself, but urging me, urging me to come again and again and again. After the first three times, I was sore and I wanted to stop. I begged him to stop, but he wouldn't. He kept banging away like an axe murderer.
Hildy be, be begged me to fuck her. I trust my huge nine and a half inch tool into her vase-like box. We fucked with a vengeance for what seemed hours. She experienced dozens of orgasms. She started bouncing on him, a crazy rhythm, leading him on and on, bouncing and fainting like the tough, punch-crazy fighter she was till she got him locked in her hug again, poised for her shuddering cum. I inserted my swelling member into her love triangle and started to pump her. We climaxed at the same time. Bo began fucking her hard and then built up momentum. No, no, yes, yes, she muttered. Dear God, this awful pleasure was driving her mad. Joy and pain were intertwined. Oh, oh, no, Mr. Kingston, I'm coming. Oh, oh, Miss Holmes' thin body was writhed in ecstasy. <laughs> because none of the above were above quotes in the way it really happens. I'm going to start right on in chapters one, two, and three in my book with explicit instructions on how women can be really satisfied. I guarantee that if you read them carefully and go about making love as I suggest, you will absolutely positively be successful in pleasing your woman every time and it will be quicker too. Most men don't have a clue what they're doing to a woman's body in the sex department and because of this ineptness, they think it has to take hours to satisfy her. The beauty part of all this is that when a man finds out exactly what to do and does it, it takes just minutes for a woman to have an orgasm once the main event begins. And it works. It really does. How can I guarantee positive results every time? Just read on. Put into practice what I've explained and you'll find out the very first time that it absolutely does work every time. The Big Bang Theory, okay. You two are in love and you're making love. It's fabulous for you, the guy. It's sensual, pleasurable, and your orgasm is incredible. You love her and you know she loves you too. And she says it's great for her too, but is it? I'm sure you believe her and feel that you tell that if she were faking, but you probably don't know that there's no way a man can tell if a woman is faking an orgasm. I'm sure you've heard that there are ways to tell. I like her breathing, quickening, her nipples getting hard, etc. But all these things happen when she's aroused. Not necessarily when she has an orgasm. And all you women, you know you can fake it, right? You've been doing it for a year. God knows I was until several years ago. I had never had an orgasm in the normal way of making love. And other ways are not abnormal. I use the term normal to mean the usual, most common way of making love, the missionary position. I believe that this is the most sexually satisfying to both men and women. Once the man learns how to really pleasure his mate in this position, certainly all other ways are pleasurable, but they gain the great popularity because it is easier for a woman to be satisfied using some sort of manipulation of her clitoris, either manually with her fingers or with lips and the tongue. And women have gotten their men to do these things because they know from experience that's the only way that they can achieve orgasm. Even though it is pleasurable, it doesn't begin as totally and completely satisfying as the normal missionary position once the man learns how to make love in this wonderful and loving way. Again, I had never had an orgasm in a normal way of making love. I had faked it. I have faked it all my life. Believe me, I was Bernhardt, Deuce, Bette Davis, Faye Dunaway, and Cece Spacek all roll up in one. No man had ever suspected ever that I wasn't thoroughly, thoroughly satisfied convincing um, that all, and that's because I was such a great actress convincing him. I moaned, I writhed, I gritted my teeth, I did all the right things in the right times, and I was completely, utterly unsatisfied and frustrated. 
Now, some of you men ask why. Why did I go to all that trouble? Why didn't I just tell my guy I wasn't being satisfied? I didn't for the same reasons that no woman wants to tell her guy. First, she loves her man, really cares for him, and that's why they're together in the first place. And she doesn't want to hurt his feelings or his ego. She wants him to feel like a tiger. Second, she doesn't want him to feel that she's not a sensual woman or maybe there's something wrong with her. She thinks it's her fault that maybe she's a friend frigid woman why else is she unable to have an orgasm when he has such an easy time having one god forbid the thought should ever cross his mind that she's frigid that would devastate her at this point i'd like to point out that there's no such thing as a frigid woman there are only inept male lovers and in her mind if he did think that she was frigid he might go out looking for a hot number to replace her and third she doesn't know why she's not having an orgasm she still thinks it's her fault but if she only knew why she could do something about it right or she could tell him what to do right if she knew what she was doing wrong or that he was doing something wrong he got her excited with foreplay she's burning up with desire and as soon as he enters her and starts pumping she's turned off that wonderful excited feeling that glow all over her body that tingling in her sex organs vanishes why because he's doing his big bang number and in and out, in and out, big bang. He doesn't realize it. it doesn't feel good to her. It doesn't always hurt at first, but his shoulders doesn't feel terrific. And after a while of being banged, it does hurt. And she wishes he could get it over with fast. If you men would just try this experiment, you'd understand exactly what it feels like. Put your left arm out with your right fist and hit your left arm for about 30 seconds. The longer you do it, the more it hurts. I did this on several TV shows to show the male host what banging feels like. And they were all amazed. They had no idea what that's what happens when a man enters a woman and starts pumping. But if you stop and think about it, it's very logical. A man's penis, ready to make love, it is hard. The territory surrounding his penis, his pelvis is also hard. When a woman's sex organs are all soft, when a man puts his hard organ into a woman's soft organ and then starts pumping hard and hits her hard on the clit, it doesn't feel good. After a few minutes of being hit on her soft organ, it begins to hurt. And just to get it over with, she'll pretend anything to stop the pain and boredom. She'll quickly learn how to pretend she's having an orgasm. In the next two chapters, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do uh, to, to, to do to not only arouse your woman, but take her all the way to the most glorious orgasm she's ever had and to do this every time you make love. And the beauty of this part is that when she truly has an incredible orgasm and sends you sends off rockets through her whole body, you will become more excited than you've ever been before and your orgasm will surpass any you've ever had before because now you'll know the real power that you possess to turn her on and send her to the moon, outer space, Mars, Venus, etc. And you'll feel a love from her that you've never felt before. And if you think you're pretty good now and your woman feels that you're a perfect lover, remember she loves you and she wants you to think that you're a perfect. Try it anyway. And if you've been worried, maybe she's got eyes for someone else or think that she might look at another man after you give her the ultimate pleasure that you're now capable of because now you know how to pleasure her, you'll realize that there's no reason for her to look around or to fool around because you're the man who gives her what she wants and needs and loves. Number two, teasing. Stop and think about what turns you on. A sniff of wonderful fragrance, a taste of caviar, the touch of velvet on your skin, all soft and gentle things. It's not such so pleasurable to be overpowered by too strong an odor yak, or to gorge on a full can of caviar, double yak, or to be rubbed roughly with any material velvet included. Try another experiment. Put your left arm out again. Now take your fingers of your right hand very softly. Run your fingers over your arm, but very gently. Hardly touch the skin. Make like your fingers are feathers and tease your skin. It tickles a little. And after a few seconds, you feel like you want to scratch it. The soft touch makes a gentle edge, which feels good. It needs to be satisfied or scratched. 
Well, the same principle applies to making love. First, gently touch her skin anywhere, a leg, an arm, her back, anywhere. But it must be gentle, very soft and teasy. Spend a minute or two there, then slowly, very slowly, work up to her breast, softly with her tips and pads of your fingers, but don't touch her nipples yet. Create a desire. Make her sweetly suffer with wanting something so badly and not being able to get it when she wants it. Make her sweetly suffer with a desire that you don't won't give her yet. When you paw her, roughly maw her with when you paw her or roughly maw her, which I call three play, because it sure ain't four play, it's a turn off like too strong an odor. Deliberately don't touch her nipples for a few minutes. Deliberately tease her and after a few minutes of you teasing her above her nipple, below it, and all around it, but never right on it. She'll be ready for you to touch it, but only softly touch. Don't grab or pull her knee again, just softly take your fingers and hardly touch at all. This will begin to drive her crazy. You are teasing her. Keep it up, knowing you're driving her crazy. You are calling the shots and that alone is a giant turn on. And the soft tease of your fingers make her want more. The fact that you're holding back and only gently teasing with the soft touch of your fingers creates a divine itch, an unbelievable strong itch. And the more it itches, the more she wants you to satisfy that itch by holding back. You are creating a tremendous desire within all of her sex organs after a few minutes of this. And don't weaken and grab or paw whenever you feel she's ready. And believe me, she'll let you know if you're ready with another rouse and hard penis. If not, I'll cover that a little later. Right now, we're going on her. If you're ready with an arouse and a hard penis, do not put it on her. You don't put it in her. This is the main event coming up. And once you get this right, you'll never have trouble again. Three, the main event. Now you are aroused. Your penis is aroused and she is aroused. Do not and do not enter her. Take your penis in your hand and gently rub her clitoris with it. Gently, very gently. Play with her with your penis very softly. You are letting her know that you could go inside her with it, but you are choosing not to. You are going to tease her with it. You are going to build a desire inside her until she begs you to put it in. You are now totally in charge, the master of yourself and of her. You are going to tease her until she literally will beg you to put it in. She'll be getting to that point soon. You're getting her clit gently, and the more you tease the more aroused she's getting, just keep it up very gently, teasing her with your penis. She's now asking you to put it in and you say no. And you keep teasing her with your penis, gently rubbing on her clit. Again, she asks you to put it in again and you say no. You continue teasing her and now she says, please put it in and you're still not ready. You want her to beg, right? Well, give her another minute or so and she will beg. Now remember, you're in charge. It's your penis and you can sweetly torture her as long as you want and she'll love it. She knows you're in charge and in total control of your penis and her body. Before this, you were not in control. You just shoved it in, bang, bang, and that was it. No control, no mastery. All right. Now, you've finally gotten her to the point of begging you to put it in. So you've decided the time is now. But do you put it in? No. You will very gently go in about one half inch, hardly at all, and then slowly take it out and then slowly back in one inch and slowly out again. She's going to be really going crazy by now and you're not going to and you're going to love it and so is she after all she never felt like this before good grief does she want you but you're still in charge and still teasing now you'll put it in one inch and slowly out and one inch and slowly out and i go a little more very slowly maybe one and a half inches and very slowly out don't ever go in all the way till she starts having her orgasm just keep teasing her when you work up to almost the full length of your penis slowly withdraw in and account in and out again very slowly and very gently the reason not to go all the way in with your penis is that when you do it it ramps against her clit and the whole purpose of this is to tease her clit not to hit it but to create a desire that drives her mad until she has an orgasm now 
you're still slowly going in and out, never all the way, and you can feel her getting more and more aroused. This, in turn, gets you more and more aroused because as much as you're teasing her, you're teasing yourself too. You're totally in command, and both of you know it. And the more you stall it, the more incredible and intense will be both of your orgasms. Teasing is a form of sweet torture and both for both of you and we all both men and women have a touch of masochism within us the act of surrender which is the most beautiful part of an orgasm is surrender in love to the one you love now if you want to try something that is sexually incredible but incredibly difficult to do get to the point you're at now the point you're both seconds away from an orgasm so stop just stop cold and resume several hours later or the next morning holding back like that will triply excite you when you resume your lovemaking and you'll both be so sensual and so ready that when you start over again with the teasing you'll both be tortured with the desire and by the time you gently tease her clit with your penis she'll be screaming for you to enter her and when you start gently putting your penis in her a half inch at a time she'll be pleading begging for you to go in more and when you both have your orgasms the explosions will rock both of you like you've never been rocked before but it takes great control and a very healthy body see chapter seven now you brought her to the point of surrender she's begging you to give her the orgasm that her body so desperately wants now but now you go up against a little deeper and slowly out you keep that until her body begins to quiver and you will continue going in and out until she has an orgasm that rocks her whole being she may moan or scream or talk incoherently just to breathe huskily but this time you'll know she's not faking it you'll have made her and have an orgasm it wasn't an accident it didn't just happen you deliberately and consciously teased her body until she couldn't stand it any longer she gave herself to you totally and completely because you demanded it with love to be sure but it was a deliberate command for her to respond she opened up completely to you now, if you're in good physical shape, you'll be able to give her several more orgasms after her first one. The ones that follow come much faster and you don't have to tease. Of course, you can't revert to the Big Bang, but you can be a little more forceful. You can see how she'll react if you can keep from coming and continue to penetrate her. Usually within a minute, she'll have another and another as long as you can continue. Usually three to five, some women only two and some over five but maybe you're so excited by her first explosion that you just can't hold back so you have your orgasm it will be the deepest and fullest orgasm you've ever had because you've controlled it up to this moment and you've teased yourself and now you've let yourself go hopefully you've been able to give her two or three orgasms but if only one that's okay because it was undoubtedly the best one she's ever had maybe even her first and next time you can try for more than one you'll notice how relaxed she is and now and how loving toward you after all you've just given her the greatest experience of her life once you never forget it or you what to do if your man won't even try for women only <laughs> if you're a woman and can't get your maid to read this book he doesn't read books he doesn't read sex books he already knows how to make sure he knows some women fake it but you sure don't you read it enough that you learn that he's been doing wrong all these years you'll not be able to gently and sneakily show him what you want or if you're in love with a real hard head who refuses to change anything about the way he makes love and he's so stubborn that he's hanging on to his great lover image all is not lost you should not continue faking it in fact if you do you'll be letting your man down because then he'll never learn how inept he is and he'll never change and you'll never have the ecstasy of an orgasm during intercourse you'll also be letting yourself down by pretending something that isn't happening in Cher Hitt's book, The Height Report, she lists hundreds of quotes from women who fake it. Here are just a few that might ring a bell. I fake orgasms to save his pride and prevent arguments. Sometimes it builds a man's ego to let him think he's successful. Therefore, if I really like a man and want him to think I enjoyed sex more than I did, I do it. Yes, I always fake orgasms. It just seems polite. Why be rude? 
I, I faked him often. He and I had such an abysmal sex relationship that I don't want to burden him with the knowledge that I don't come during intercourse. I always did. I'm 62 now. I was told to do it by my male doctors to keep my husband happy. Bless me. I was thinking there was something missing in my makeup for about 35 years, and that's a long time to imagine you have to fake it. I have been faking orgasms for 30 years because I need approval. I lack self-esteem, and I'm ashamed as though I had a club foot or one eye, and because I don't want to hurt my husband, who is also insecure. I always fake them during intercourse. I know it would hurt the guy. I live with it if he knew otherwise, I so I always tell him that it was great. Yes, it's easier and faster than struggling. When he asked if I came, I said yes. Sometimes I would even tell me how many times I came, and I didn't have the heart to tell him that I hadn't come at all. I always fake them because I never had them. I like asking if, like asking if the sky is blue. Yes, during intercourse, I always don't want men to know I never have them. For 15 years, I was the world's best faker. Honestly, I think they should have a phallic trophy mounted on a pedestal like in the art history books for all women i think they all fake it with men as i mentioned earlier in the book up to a few years ago i had never had an orgasm during intercourse and i always faked it and i honestly thought it was the only woman doing this of course i never told a single soul man or woman that i was not able to orgasm during intercourse i was embarrassed and i didn't want anyone to know that i was not normal ha this was little before everyone talked so freely about sex and before all the very explicit books were written about women's sexual problems. So from all I read in popular fiction and from all I heard, I recently thought all other women had an easy time climaxing during intercourse. All my friends and acquaintances must have been as anxiety-ridden and as I was about this lack in their lives. And they sure weren't going to tell me or anyone else about their friggity problem. They obviously were as upset and embarrassed as I was and they were faking it exactly the same way as I was. The difference now is that because women are admitting their problems, probably very few think they are only ones faking it. Hopefully, even fewer think they're rigid and... Here are some more quotes from the hit report and about how so many women think they are or thought they were rigid, frigid. I went along for 34 years carrying the burden of not having vaginal orgasms, never telling anyone because I felt something was wrong with me. I thought I was frigid. Frigid. It's only going to take some time and I believe eventually a woman will have to tell me how to have an orgasm during sex. Right now I don't know how to ask plus I will have be. I will have to be quite careful in discussing this because I wouldn't want someone to think I was abnormal. I affect them to avoid confrontation to a man, to avoid explaining why I was like I was, to avoid their tried responses in lesbianism, frigidity, etc. Yes, for ten and a half years, I didn't want anyone to think I was frigid. If I don't have any, then it's my fault. And my husband doesn't want to have intercourse very much if I am frigid. In the Red Book report on female sexuality, a woman is quoted about her unhappy and unsatisfied sex life and what her doctor told her about it. After 10 years of never having an orgasm, I finally got the courage to ask my family doctor. They always tell you to ask the family doctor, right? As my marriage was falling apart, his response was 70% of our women are frigid. It's all in your head. Just as I thought... It was my only problem, never dreaming it could possibly be my man's ineptness. These women all think they are or thought they were frigid. Again, please remember there is no such thing as a frigid woman. Once men really learn how to intercourse, every woman will respond. Now, lots of women think they have to masturbate during intercourse to achieve orgasm, but this is not true. When you get your man to make love exactly as in chapter 3, you do not have to do anything to yourself. He does it all. Here are just a few quotes from the hit report about women who orgasm during intercourse, but only with masturbation. I would like to have an orgasm during intercourse without having to play with my clitoris at the same time. If I didn't do that, I will almost never come. 
I have orgasms from masturbation and a clitoral stimulation only. I feel very little and rarely from penis penetration, and I've never had an orgasm from penis stimulation. I would like to have orgasms during intercourse without having to play with my clitoris at the same time. If I didn't do that, I would almost never have orgasms. I would like to be able to have them with just intercourse. In the Redbird report on female sexuality, the authors, the authors state, should intercourse be taken literally orgasms that occur during penetration or generally orgasms that occur during a sexual episode, including manual or oral stimulation? The distinction is not trivial for the millions of women who are easily orgasmic by mouth, hand, and vibrator, but for whom the penis is just a pleasant accompaniment to the blissful har harmonies. I have conducted my own little survey, and I do not have one friend or acquaintance who has who has ever had a real orgasm through intercourse, only through clitoral stimulation. I have never had an orgasm during sexual intercourse. To have an orgasm, I must have cunnilingus or manual clitoral stimulation. I know of women today who are faking orgasms during intercourse because they are too embarrassed to tell their husbands or lovers that no matter how long they keep their erection, they just can't make the, their, her have an orgasm. Please, please discuss this when you print the results of your survey. Dr. Seymour Fisher, who wrote The Female Orgasm, did a study of over 300 women, and of these women, 80% said they needed masturbation during intercourse in order to have an orgasm. After Kinsey of the Kinsey Report, Sexual Behavior in a Woman Female reported that the techniques of masturbation and of pen of petting are more specifically calculated to the effect of orgasm than the techniques of coitus itself. Kinsey says that for most women, intercourse alone always or almost always results in no orgasm and that intercourse with masturbation for these same women almost always results in orgasm. Dr. Deborah Phillips, who wrote Sexual Confidence, says a woman is less likely to have an orgasm during intercourse than through manual or oral stimulation. For those who will rush into intercourse as the goal of lovemaking, it's interesting to note that many women actually experience a decline in sexual pleasure with penetration. Dr. Helen Singer Cap Kaplan, Dr. David Rubin, Masters and Johnson have all written about masturbation as a means of attaining orgasm during intercourse for most women who cannot climax without it. So, your mate is a lousy lover who won't admit it for a change. You found that you don't have to masturbate during intercourse and you're not going to fake it anymore. What are you going to do? You're going to take charge of the situation and by doing this, control your love life and be sexually satisfied every time you make love. Of course, solving your own problem by yourself is not as sensational as having a loving partner who tries to change and become a better lover because he accepts and admits the facts that he's inept. Listen, almost every man is, so it's nothing to be ashamed about. He never wanted to be till now. He didn't really realize that he was inept and hopefully he's read this book and is willing to try to make you happy but your problem now is that you are in love with a real big bang artist and he can't or won't accept the fact that he's a terrible lover and you're so much in love with him that you want to stick with him awful lover or not so what do you do well first of all you don't tell him that he's inept in fact no woman should ever tell her man that he's been a bad lover even if you've been faking it for 35 years don't ever tell him that why hurt him now after all he wasn't in that deliberately and you didn't know what to tell him to do either right the point is that you can't do anything about the past it's all over with and you can't recapture all those missed ecstasy so let's start with now again hopefully he's read this book and is now a fantastic lover it's so easy to be the one you know what to do and what not to do so now for how a woman can control her sexual destiny and have a climax every time with a man who hasn't picked up on or refuses to learn teasing you do it with your thighs when a man comes on too strong and too hard and starts banging just squeeze your thighs which will clamp around his hips to keep his body from ramming your body and slow him down slowly as he finds he can't bang because you won't allow it he'll start to ease up his attack because he really can't do anything else now when i say squeeze your thighs i mean take control you have done some very strong thigh muscles that 
are hardly ever used and the more you use them the stronger they get when you squeeze your thighs you also control how much of his penis you allow inside you not only will he not be able to ram you he will only be able to go in as much as far as you want so you can tease yourself with his penis and do all the things in chapter three he will do to you now you're in charge it's not as super duper as if he does it all but you definitely can have an orgasm this way and he will undoubtedly eventually become aware of what you want and what pleasures you once you have shown a man that you know what you want and he starts to pick up on it and he knows that you know what you want and he begins gently and lovingly to move in and out you can begin to relax and let him take over more and every time you make love and show him what you want and how you want it he will unconscious subconsciously begin to remember so that each time he'll bang a little less hard and you won't have to flex those thigh muscles as hard eventually hopefully only the first time but maybe it'll take two or three times he will totally understand how you don't want him to bang you and how you do want him to make love to you in a really teasing and loving way. When a woman is physically relaxed, she will be mentally and emotionally relaxed too. And if he gets too rough again, just flex those thigh muscles to signal him to gently. Not that maybe later you don't want him a little stronger, but you start with TC. And then as he gently and lovingly and teasingly makes love, you can relax and begin to surrender yourself to him slowly as he will to you. Sexual surrender is the ultimate in trust and the ultimate in pleasure. When you're totally open physically, trusting mentally and vulnerable emotionally is when the rockets explode and exploding rockets with the one you love is what life is all about lovingness i'm a total romantic i believe in everything romantic i believe love is the most important thing in the world and i know it is for me whenever i talk about sex i mean sex with love without love sex is an exercise a pleasant one to be sure but it's still just an exercise ah but sex with love is the greatest experience in the world bar none i can't think of one thing that feels better physically mentally or emotionally now the ability to love is something we all have but not all of us use it there are lots of reasons for this we're afraid we're tense we're angry we're anxious we're depressed unfortunately all of these negatives keep us from being loving it's up to all of us to try as hard as we can to get rid of all the negatives in our lives. In chapter 7, I covered the physical part of health, and I believe when the body is truly healthy, then the mind and emotions will be healthy too. So in this chapter, I don't want to talk about feeling loving, but feeling loved, receptive to love, opening yourself to love, not feeling guilty or unworthy of love. So I believe strongly in God or good or giant self or spirit or anything you want to call him or her it. In fact, my belief is God is the strongest belief in my life and the one thing I'm positive of, and I strongly believe that God gives us everything in life we need and the moment we need it we may need to learn something so god gives us a tool to which wish to learn our lesson the tool may be pain or loss of a job or loss of a loved one or anything which may appear to be negative but in reality only a tool that god gives us sends us so that we can use it that tool and learn i don't believe in guilt i don't think any negative is part of God and guilt is a negative we're not supposed to feel sorry we did something after all if we could have done something different at a time we would have but we didn't we did what we had to do at the moment we're supposed to learn from what we did we're not supposed to feel unworthy of anything which is what guilt makes us feel god created us perfect we're ones who screw up and the only reason we screw up is because we don't fully realize we are god's children if we really truly believe and feel that god god loves us and protects us and guides us how could we ever feel afraid lost or angry or guilty or depressed or any of the negative feelings so the whole point is to work on a real positive the ultimate positive the knowledge and feeling that an assurance that we are part of god and god is in all of us and 
that God adores each one of us and wants us to feel only positive things in our lives. And the more we can work at feeling the closest to God, the closer we can feel and think that and have these things. I don't believe that God just loves me. I... I believe that God adores me and wants me to have everything I want and do an emotional and I do an emotional exercise every day of my life that brings me closer to God every day of my life. So I wrote a little about this in Isle of View, say it out loud, but it's important to me that I like to repeat it. I feel so strongly about this exercise and I know how tremendously it's helped me to achieve the things I want. And I want to convince you to try it. It only takes several minutes a day, but it colors your whole day in such a positive light that once you begin doing it, I think you'll do it the rest of your life. You too, I will begin uh you will begin to feel differently and you will begin to think differently you also begin to get a lot of things that you wanted for a long time it's actually a form of self-hypnosis and when you start to use your conscious mind in this exercise you will be feeding input into your subconscious mind you will start to relax when you let god run your life trusting that everything you want and need will be given to you when you need it you'll stop pushing so hard out of fear because once you feel actually feel that god loves you you can't experience fear you can't feel love and fear at the same time here's my emotional exercise that i do every day of my life every morning at the end of every of my 20 setups and on my slant board, I just lie there and close my eyes and totally relax. If you don't have a slant board, you can lie flat on your bed without a pillow. Then I remember emotionally what it was like when someone really loved me, my mother, father, husband, wife. It makes no difference who, but you must remember the feeling of being loved and the wonderful physical glow, warmth, and open feeling of someone truly loving you. This takes a real concentration and you must be relaxed, but it's really fun. Just be still and go back in time and remember incidents of being held by your mother or hugged by your dad or praised by either one of them. You might remember lying on a beach as a kid or under a warm sky and seeing your mother or dad or feeling secure and warm and loved with them sitting nearby it doesn't happen it doesn't matter how you recapture the feeling of being loved as long as something in your past warms you and opens you up emotionally in this memory. When I've captured this warm feeling, I smile and I say, God adores me. And then I smile bigger and I keep that great feeling of openness and warmth. You don't have to try to smile when you feel really loved. You can't help but smile. Then I say, God adores me and wants me to have everything I want. Now follow my logic, assuming that God or love or giant self exists and really loves me, which we've been taught mentally, but not emotionally. He, she, it certainly wants me to have everything I want and need. My darling mother wants me to have everything she can give me. When my father was alive, he loved me dearly and wanted me to have everything, anything and everything my little heart desires. So God, who adores me, I like the word adore better than love in this case because it seems stronger to me and emotionally captured the feeling. But you can use love or cherish or any word that works for you. So God, who adores me and wants me to have everything in the whole world that I want. Now, I get into a little more detail. God adores me and wants me to have everything I want. Then I list the things I want. And you pick all the things you've ever really wanted wanted and realize that if God does adore you, you'll get at all those terrific things. Success, love, a joyful marriage, friends, money, a great job, terrific apartment, gorgeous clothes, fame, an emerald bracelet, a new car, a baby, whoever really loved you would have given you anything you wanted, right? And if God adores you, and if not only you believe it, but you feel it, that feeling will grow till more and more and more loved, and you feel more and more deserving of everything you want. It's very important to smile broadly because it'll help you feel loved and happy again don't force a smile but when you feel truly loved you can't help but smile so when you relax and smiling you know the right feeling is there my biggest problem is that i have never felt i deserve anything i felt only guilt for wanting good things for myself maybe it was my super religious upbringing with hell and guilt etc or maybe it came from somewhere else but there it was coloring everything i did no no wonder i repelled myself from getting good things for my life i didn't feel like i deserved them from 
But doing this emotional exercise every day and without exception makes me know that I am loved and makes me feel that I am a lovable person who deserves everything I want. And every single day I feel more and more loved and more and more lovable and this automatically makes me a more loving person. Feeling love makes me realize the goodness within yourself and that goodness is your real self or my giant self as I call God. Feeling love makes you feel your oneness with God. Six fantasies. Fantasies are wonderful. They take ordinary experiences and transform them into imaginative, imaginative, imaginative flights to the unknown. <laughs> uh, they can be exciting, sexy, erotic, stimulating, fun, relaxing, all kinds of different things. We all fantasize about a new car, or a gorgeous mansion, a yacht, or our own of our own to take us to our own private tropical island where we'll never have to work again just to get our pick breakfast, swim in a lagoon, lace in the sun, make love, and sleep in a wonderful sleep under the stars. Where our fantasies start differing in sex is how we see ourselves. Some men fantasize about power and love. Some women fantasize about helpless, helplessness, helplessness in love. However, I've known men who fantasize about helplessness and are very passive in sex. And I'm known women who fantasize about power and are very active in sex. And I'm not talking about very weak men and very strong men. Some of the strongest, most successful men in business, real titans of industry, want to be treated as pussycats and fantasize all kinds of masochistic delights to them. And some of the weakest appearing, most docile types of women are tigers and fantasize power. So you can't tell from looks or appearances. A fantasy is just that imaginative. I can't hurt you and anyone else because it's all in your mind. Now, I don't think fantasizing someone else in a, the place of a person you're with is constructive. That's negative, not positive. After all, if you'd rather be with someone else, you shouldn't be with the person you're with. And of course, I believe totally in faithfulness. So that precludes fantasizing group sex. I really, really constructive fantasizing is taking the person you're actually with and imagining a situation with him or her that turns you on, really stimulation mentally, emotionally, and sexually. How can that be bad? You're using that power of imagination, mind's dominant power as using it to put excitement into a real situation. And if you feel like telling your partner that burns you on, that turns you on, go ahead and do it. If not, don't. Some women fantasize about being spanked. I've, if You've always wanted to imagine this, and it seems your partner is just not the type. Well, use your vivid imagination. All imaginations are vivid, so like a muscle, they get stronger with the use. So the more you use your imagination, the more vivid it becomes. Fantasize your man as the type who would want to spank you. And realize that every person, man or woman, reacts differently in different situations. What may appear as Casper, Milkatoes, or Wilbur Wimp may have all the kinds of strong and kinky desires lurking beneath the surface. Just use your imagination and realize that it is possible. He couldn't be harboring a secret spire desire spank you you don't have to tell him that you don't you don't have to tell him what you want unless you decide you'd like to you you can just keep fantasizing all you want and he'll never know what's going on inside your mind and then again you may not know what's going on inside his brain either he may have an incredible imagination of me maybe fantasizing doing all kinds of wonderful things to him for instance, lots of men love to imagine that their woman is stronger than they are, that they're capable of ordering the man to do the woman's bidding, whatever it is. Some men like to fantasize being spanked by their wives. It really turns them on. Now, lots of women also fantasize being having tremendous power in order their men to do whatever they want. Some women use their own sense of power as an aphrodisiac power can be a turn on they like imagining what they are more powerful than their husbands and can force little husbands to do their bidding now remember this is all a fantasy we're not talking about real life lots of men fantasize total control of a woman they want to feel like potentates who can command their women to follow their every whim it gives them a great feeling of nights 
might and strength to imagine that women are slaves to their simplest desires. I know a woman who gets turned on by tickling. She imagines she's being tickled by her husband and this feeling losing control really excites her. Her husband hasn't a clue to what's going on in her mind and I know that a man who visualizes himself crawling on his hands and knees in front of his wife and his feeling of sub 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 subservience turns him on. He doesn't want his wife to know because he's hesitant that she might think it weak of him. It, he happens to be a good looking, fr a good friend of mine, a very strong, good looking man in show business who lets down his guard with me and told all. I told him I believe he should share his, this with his wife that might turn him on even more. And he said he probably will. He's just not quite ready yet. But if he doesn't ever tell her, if he gives it to himself, that's okay too. I could list a, I could, a lot of different fantasies, but the whole point is to make up your own. You know, you have strong feelings and desires and you also have strong imagination. Use it like a muscle. It gets stronger with use and you with your own personal fantasies you will get even more fantastic the beauty part of fantasies is that you can interchange them one day you can be a powerful person commanding and vigorous the real martinet and the next day you can be a weak person revealing your own weakness helplessness defenselessness and a very and very sexy in your helplessness or if power really turns you on or weakness does use one or the other all the time it's easy it's fun it hurts no one and it just might add spice to your already terrific sex life and just remember in fantasies anything goes healthy body you might wonder why i've included a chapter on physical health in a book about sex again i'm a very logical person and when i explain it you'll see how important health is to sex we may fall in love mentally or emotionally or spiritually mentally you observe someone and you think you like what you see a great smile sensational legs gorgeous eyes an incredible body you thought processes you thought processes race along and you decide to further pursue this person when your emotions begin to function and feelings begin to play within you, which you start urging you to get really know this person. And spiritually, you feel that this may be the missing half of yourself, which you've been so eagerly searching for in such a long time. But all these thoughts and feelings and longings can happen without a body and cannot be fulfilled without a body. Without your body, you can't think, you can't feel, you can't desire. Your body is the vessel, the instrument through which all of these things are expressed. Your body is truly the example of God. All through God knows most of us don't treat it so religiously. Most of us brutally mistreat ourselves and it's a wonder why we can't function at all. No wonder we have a problem thinking straight. Our veins and arteries are so clogged from eating junk and smoking and drinking booze that oxygen has a hard time reaching our brains and how is it possible to think? And clearly, after all, our brain is very much like an IBM machine. So when your body is full of tension or in the depths of depression, you jam your computer and you can't think clearly. And the same for your emotions. When you're filled with tension and anxiety, it's impossible to be a loving person. It's not that you don't want to be sweet and caring and full of tenderness. You literally cannot. When you're tense and anxious, you hit your kids and scream and your husband and your wife. You don't want to. You just can't help yourself. And when you're depressed, you make sure you... You're sure you're, you're sure not thrilled about hugging and kissing and making nice. You're probably thinking about how you can do away with yourself. So an unhealthy body is not a loving body, but the reverse is certainly true. A really healthy body is a loving body. Sex is not a normal function like eating, drinking, walking, and sleeping. Now, you don't feel like eating or drinking when you're sick and when you don't want to walk or move when you're sick. And certainly, you don't sleep well when you're sick. And of course, you don't want sex when you're sick. And when you're on drugs, cocaine, grass, booze, coffee, tea, etc., you can usually eat and drink, though not well. You you can usually walk but not with a bounce in your step and you can also usually steep asleep though 
fitfully, but drugs are almost always interfere with your sex life. Sex is one of the best barometers of health that there is, and this goes for both men and women. When a person is heavy smoker or even a moderate one, it negatively affects the sex organs. When a man or woman is sexually excited, the sex organs, penis, and clitoris engorge with blood, and that's what excites us. Smoking constricts all the veins and arteries in the body, particularly those in the sex organs, so they can't fill up with blood. This is what we call impotent. A sex organs won't or can't fill up with blood and therefore can't get hard, and drinking too much booze will deplete the body of all the B vites vitamins which are what keep the nervous system in good shape and keep us relaxed and sensual so drinking booze will initially make us feel good for a few minutes and then as it affects the effects wear off it makes us tense and we alternate between the bouts of depression and anxiety which feelings are not conducive to love and sex indeed it will chase away any feelings or doubts you might have about making love and coffee will do the same thing it gives you a temporary up and plummets you down so when you need another cup and another so your body is so tense and anxious that love and sex are the last things on your mind and so it goes with all the drugs cocaine grass etc they're all the same of course when we smoke or drink too much women as well as men it harms a lot of other parts in our bodies too like our lungs our liver our hearts your skin etc but not a real barometer of the heart done and a quicker one is our sex life when we smoke the nicotine constricts our blood vessels it really makes them a lot smaller as like i said the swelling of the blood vessels is the cause of erection and the swelling of the blood vessels is the cause of erection and sexual excitement in both men and women and the inhaled carbon monoxide reduces the level of blood oxygen and also the hormone production. When a person is a heavy smoker, the lung capacity is cut away down, is cut way down that and that cuts way down on your endurance and on this ability to last a while during intercourse. Try it. See what happens when you cut out the smokes for a month. If your sex life doesn't pick up considerably and I mean your ability as a lover, then you can always go back to smoking. I know it's difficult to stop, but if I did it, anyone can. One of the most wonderful things about life is that things are usually never totally lost. There is usually hope that something can be salvaged. The good news about stopping smoking is that once a person stops, your body is totally cleared and of all the tar and nicotine and assorted gunk in a matter of months. Several doctors have told me that people should never have should never feel that because they've been smoking for years. It wouldn't make any difference if they stopped and all the damage had already been done. It's simply not true. Your lungs will go back to their pre-smoking condition in a few months after you stop. Alcoholism is a result of nutritional deficiencies, particularly the B vites. So before... So because our bodies are, are malnourished and we crave liquor, which makes our bodies more nutritionally deficient and we become more malnourished and we crave more booze, etc., etc., etc. So the main thing we do for men who want to have a super sex life is to cut down on the booze, cut down on the smokes altogether and start exercising those gorgeous bodies and start getting them in shape. Jogging is a terrific way to begin, even if it's running in place in your bedroom. Once you see how good you're feeling, you might even graduate to running outside. Now, I'm sure some men smoke and drink too much and still function well, but believe me, they are the exception their sexual prowess won't last can't last these men start out in life in better shape than most of us so it takes the nicotine and booze a little while longer to get to them but they will but get they will and as important as it is for men to be in great shape physically to be terrific lovers it's important for women too the clitoris is a miniature penis and if a woman puts gunk in her body her clit will react exactly the same way a man's penis it will be difficult if not impossible to keep it erect and she will lose her desire for sex remember it's impossible to keep an erection if your body isn't healthy it's not a mental problem where you can't where you can will or demand your penis to be hard it's not an emotional problem <clears throat> 
And it's not an emotional problem where a new or exciting bed partner will stimulate you and your penis will automatically get hard. It's a physical problem if you're mistreating your body by loading it with junk and booze and cigarettes and other drugs. Your penis cannot get hard until you change yourself and get healthy. Once you get your physical self in great shape and your mental self sharpens up, which it will when your body is activated and your emotional emotional self softens and expands as the love increases in your life you'll find the life forces growing greatly in every part of your physical mental and emotional self the ultimate expression of this life force is sex a juicy delicious loving exciting sex life this is the only one of the ways of pleasuring yourself but it is one of it is but this is only one of the ways of pleasuring yourself but it is the ultimate the great turn on for sex is love and love is what this book is all about when you have love radiating from every pore and love surrounding every thought and love filling every passion then you'll know what life is supposed to be so work at getting healthy and i promise you that you'll feel better than you ever felt the people are so used to feeling tense and anxious and they think it's natural way of life that's that that's the way that we're supposed to feel only after they've gotten rid of the tension and anxiety do they realize how awful they used to feel and how unnatural it is to feel awful. The natural way to feel is calm and relaxed, full of energy, waking up in the morning wanting to take over the world. But that is what life is supposed to be like. For most people don't feel that good. And I sure didn't either. I used to feel so full of tension and anxiety that I couldn't function, that I fall in one of the pits of depression. And I used to think my fears and depressions were all mental. So I tried everything, yoga, psychologists, psychiatrist meditation but let me tell you you can meditate for 10 months or see a shrink for six years and if your body's screaming out with tension nothing mental is going to help on the other hand when your body is feeling super good you'll start thinking more clearly than you ever did before you'll find you don't get confused anymore and you'll be amazed at how your personal relationships will improve people will find you more relaxed and more loving because when you're relaxed you won't yell at your kids kick the cat or pick fights with your mate at the very first step is to get rid of all the physical tension in your body and you're found all-time best way to do this only a person who's felt as low and really awful as i used to feel can understand why i'm so grateful for the great change that's happened to me several years ago anything could change my life so drastically so that I could make me feel so incredibly good every day. It's a miracle. Now, everyone who's read my two books, everything you've always wanted to know about energy, but were too weak to ask in Isle of View, say it out loud, knows a little about how I changed my life. And I'd like to tell my new readers how it happened. If though my experience can help even one person to feel better, that will make me very happy. Before my wonderful discovery, I was a wreck in my 10 cups a day, at least of coffee, and my pack a day, at least of cigarettes, and to many sweets I can't believe, too many sweets I can't believe I was even alive, let alone functioning. I was tense and anxious between my bouts of depression. Every day I smoked and drank coffee and tea and colas and candy and cakes to whip myself into action. Then I'd have a martini to relax at the end of the day then coffee cigarettes and sweets after dinner to push myself again and then to bed where i slept horribly with lots of nightmares and the next day the same routine all over again finally i had a physical collapse my body just conked out they took me to the hospital where the doctors thought I had mono, mano, mano, or a kidney disease. And at the same time, I was very young in my early 20s. While I was in the hospital, a friend, Rachel Perry, gave me one of the Adele's Davis books. And I found that, that all the things which I had been wrong with me physically since I was a little kid came from tension, which was caused by a lack of the B vitamins. I later found out that the B vitamins in my body were being used up by all the sugar and junk that I was eating. Sugar to be metabolized burns up all the B vites in the metabolic process. No wonder I was such a wreck. Then I found out that yeast is the most concentrated source of all the B vites in any food. Food and those B vites could also knock out the tension and depression. So that's when I invented my dynamite energy shake. Not only did the can canker source and neuralgia attacks and pimples go away, but the tension sort of drained out of my body. When my depressions faded away, I could feel them leaving and wonderful sense of. Um, 
well-being take over at that time i made my dynamic energy shake from scratch but now i can buy it ready made at all health stores or to order the rare call 1-800-255-1660 and morning to friday 9 30 to 5 30 east 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 eastern standard time i worked months perfecting the formula so that it would not only make your sensational feel sensational but also but it'll also taste terrific i'm so grateful that god gave me my physical collapse that led to my inventing the dynamite energy shake that i decided to put all the money that i would have come to me from the sale of the dynamite energy shake every penny into a foundation the john ellsworth hayden foundation that i named after my father the foundation is giving free dynamite energy shakes to people who can't afford it or to wouldn't be able to get it otherwise i want to give it every I want to give it to every person I can get it to because it truly believes that some people commit crimes before because of nutritional deficiencies that lead to tension. The same way people drink to escape tension and some fight with their mates and kids and friends as a result of tension, some other people who have chemically imbalanced bodies and serious nutritional deficiencies commit crimes because of the tension. Free dynamite and free dynamite energy shakes are also going to those people in mental institutes, senior citizens homes, and other places where there are people who I feel that could benefit it enormously by putting something this potent in their bodies, something that could change their physical, mental, and emotional lives. In my energy and Isle of View books, I give the real basics about vitamins, but I'd like to tell you here just a little bit about why you need them and how many you should take. If you want to find out a lot more about details on vitamins and dynamite energy shake, read both of my previous books. I've made it really logical and simple to really understand. Before I found out about vitamins, I was as confused as everybody else about how many to take and which ones I needed. I used to take a multivitamin once a day and thought I was getting everything I needed. But now, knowing that I've studied and found out a lot about vites, I know that I wasn't getting every any anywhere near as many as I needed. Everybody is individual. Everybody everybody is individual and has individual needs so we don't need the same amount of bites what i've done is a list what i believe is the minimum for everybody i take much more which i list under the minimum some some of you need just the minimum and others need more like i do and i tell you you now you will know if you're getting enough or need more list of vitamins and minerals minimum to take daily vitamin a twenty-five thousand units all 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 the B vitamins get plenty of dynamite energy shake. Vitamin C, three thousand milligrams. Vitamin D, three thousand units. Vitamin E, four four hundred units. Dolomite, thirteen hundred milligrams. Ten pills or one level tablespoon powder. Other minerals get plenty in dynamite energy shake. What I take daily: vitamin A, fifty thousand unit. All the B vitamins. Vitamin C, fifteen thousand milligrams. Vitamin D. 3,000 units, vitamin E, 3,600 units, dolomite, 3,900 milligrams, 30 pills or level 3 tablespoon powder, teaspoon powder. Other minerals, get plenty. Uh, give children proportionally less according to their body weight. For instance, a 12-year-old who weighs 100 pounds, give three quarters of the amounts listed. A five-year-old who weighs 50 pounds, give one-fourth of the amounts listed, etc. Give vitamin C according to frequency of colds, etc. the child gets. Let's start with vitamin A. Vitamin A is essential to good skin. It prevents and clears up skin infections. It also makes hair shiny, improves day vision, and particularly night vision, promotes cell growth, and aids in resisting infections. Vitamin A and vitamin E work together and should be taken together because without vitamin E, vitamin A is destroyed by oxygen. Vitamin A is found in green and yellow vegetables and apricots. The, the National Research Council recommends 5,000 units a day, but I take 50,000 units a day, and I believe that 25,000 units a day should be the minimum for an adult. The B vitamins are B, B19, B29, B69, and B100. 
So B1, B2, B6, and B12. Biotin, folic acid, inositol, niacin, and pantothenic acid, and PABA, paraaminobenzoic acid. Science is finding that there are other B vites and has recently isolated two B16, pangamic acid, and B17, amygdalin. All the B vites are water soluble and they can't be stored in the body, so they must be taken every day. They are synergistic, which means that one alone or several together increase the need for the rest of them. For instance, if you took lots of B1 or B6, it, it could make you terribly deficient in all the other Bs. When you take the dynamite energy shake, you'll be getting all the B vites and lots of them because it's loaded with them. Vitamin C is absorbic acid and Nobel Prize winner Linus Pauling recommends that at least 3,000 milligrams a day, but I take a minimum of 15,000 milligrams a day and I have for years. If I start to sneeze or feel the cold coming on, I go up to 50,000 milligrams a day and several times I've taken as much as 100,000 milligrams a day. But each time I knock the virus out that same day, and I can only say that since I've been on high doses of vitamin C, I haven't been sick even one day. And I used to get colds and flu bugs and viruses maybe eight to ten times a year. They're betting me each time for a couple of days, and my doctor bills and antibiotic bills were enormous. Vitamin C is fantastic, but you do need massive doses, always taken with a lot of liquid. If you're taking vitamin C and still get a cold, then know that you're not taking enough and continue taking the large amount of C for at least a day after you start to feel that you're all better and you generally do start to feel better right away after taking a lot of C. Because if you stop too soon, the germs will begin to multiply again. If you have bleeding gums or bruises in your body, there are signs of a vitamin C deficiency. If you never get a cold or a flu bug, then you probably need far less than the rest of us and 3,000 to 4,000 milligrams a day should be enough to you. Vitamin C is water soluble and can't be stored in the body, so any excess is flushed out and the body tissues should be saturated with it every day. Again, be sure to drink lots of liquids when you take lots of vitamin C. Just use your body as a barometer. If you feel great and don't catch colds or viruses, then 3,000 milligrams a day is enough. Enough. If you do catch colds, etc., then you need more. Vitamin D is known as a sunshine vitamin and helps the body absorb calcium and retain it. Without vitamin D, much calcium is lost. Food don't contain much, and many people are terribly deficient and don't know why they are so nervous. Vitamin D cannot be absorbed without fat or oil, so take it after a meal, and it, that includes some oil. Vitamin D, like vitamin A, can be toxic, so only in massive. So, but only massive doses. So take two packets of any own vitamins every day, which give me 3,000 units of vitamin D or 21,000 units a week. Dr. J.A. Johnston of the Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit researched vitamin D and his studies show that an adult can profit by taking at least 4,000 units a day. And even though I take only 3,000 units a day, 21,000 a week, in my vitamins, I get more of the eggs. I get more in the eggs that I eat and the milk that I drink every day. Of course, I also try to get a little sunshine every day just walking around. Vitamin E is an oxygenizer that it helps all the muscles in the body by lowering the needs for oxygen with more oxygen the heart doesn't have to work as hard vitamin e is sometimes called a sex vitamin and helps to produce normal sex hormones vitamin e also adds oxygen to the brain and has been used to help mentally re retarded surgeon children dr del giudis head of the child psychology at the National Institute of Public Health in Buenos Aires, Argentina, has given mentally retarded children 2,000 to 3,000 units of vitamin E daily for many years with surprising, surprisingly successful results and no evidence of toxicity. If you have high blood pressure, I suggest that you start very slowly with 100 units of vitamin E, and after you've been on the shake and vites have gotten healthier and your blood pressure has lowered, then up your vitamin E to 400 units. Most everyone else should begin with 8,000 units 
with 800 units but if you want to start slowly 400 units will build up to 800 i take 3600 units a day now and feel great dolomite contains calcium and magnesium both super important for your nerves it comes in pills and powder a teaspoon in powder and milk or juice or even water it's tasteless it's equivalent to about 10 pills about 10 pills is about the equivalent of the calcium in a quart of milk if you're under a lot of stress and who isn't nowadays take at least 10 pills a day or one teaspoon powder of liquid i usually take 36 pills a day but with all the things i'm doing i really need them to keep me cool dolomite is a great natural tranquilizer it's also awfully important for older people who actually don't get enough calcium and whose bones are getting brittle and porous 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 poros i would only I will not only strengthen your bones, but also keep them from breaking. It also calms those frazzled nerves. To me, one of the saddest and most ridiculous things about MDR's minimum daily requirements put out by Washington and used by countless doctors all over the country is the MDR on vitamin C, which is 60 milligrams. According to the statistics, 60 milligrams of vitamin C will keep you from getting scurvy with disease marks the last stage of vitamin C deficiency before you die. That's like, that's like saying the MDR of water is two ounces a day that that will keep you from dying from a lack of water or dehydration now obviously one wants to be healthier than borderline case of scurvy which is one step from death and one sad part is many people accept the mdr's as gospel and that are starving their poor bodies from a lack of vitamins and so many ignorant doctors promote mdrs as the last word of nutrition there are lots of great doctors in the world and there are lots of close-minded ones if you are wise you'll search out the ones who are open-minded and are constantly learning about new findings and who are just preventive medicine and nutrition. Just try to remember that vitamins are foods, not drugs. It always astounds me how some doctors warn people about taking vitamins, which are foods and promote great health. And they don't want people about they don't warn people about drinking coffee or teas or colas or eating sugar, all of which are addictive. Once you become aware of your body and listen to what it's telling you, you'll become more sensitive to what it needs and what you put in and want to keep out. And once you do get to know yourself physically and your body starts to feel really healthy, you'll begin to know yourself mentally and emotionally too that's the basis of happiness because when you get to know yourself you can get rid of all the negative things and cultivate all the positive things that's when you begin to like yourself and life will begin to be fun and exciting the shakes and bites are not a diet they're a way of life they begin they become as much as habit as brushing your teeth a day everything you put in your body is a cause and will have an effect in some right away like pimples headaches canker cores canker sores and some are long-term effects like strokes ulcers heart attacks when you abuse your gorgeous body well it will be when you take care of it you really can't blame it when you start when it starts to fall when it starts to fall apart but all the but the wonderful thing is that it's never too late to change so even if you've been doing wrong things for years you can now start a new way of life one that will make you healthier and happier the dynamite energy shakes and bites changed my life completely now i'm the healthiest most energetic person i know and i want everybody to feel as good as i do living alone what do you do for sex if you're living alone? Your wife died several years ago. Your fella is in the service overseas and won't be back for another year. Your girlfriend has dumped you. You decided you would be better off divorced, so you and your hubby, husband split several months ago. All right, so now you're alone, and whether you like it or not, it's irrelevant. You're... You're trying to make the best out of it and you're coping pretty well except for sex or the lack of it. When you had a partner or mate or you may have fought like crazy but you were at least with another warm body, warm blooded human being because the relationship was so strained there wasn't a lot of love floating around but at least there was occasional sex and as they say at its worst it's better than anything else. Well I believe God gave us sex organs for a reason and I believe in sex with love and preferably sex with love in marriage but if that is impossible I don't believe God meant for us to be celibate. In his book Sex Can Save Your Heart and 
in life, Dr. Eugene Scheinman points out that celibacy just about destroyed earlier civilization and that some scholars believe that celibacy, not orgies, led to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. During the early centuries, the Christians actually tried to get rid of sex entirely. It wasn't a crisis idea, nor that of its earliest followers, with the possible exception of St. Paul, but his earlier, follower became earlier followers became obsessed with stamping out sex. Over the years, this attitude took its toll. The glorification of celibacy led to a decline in the population of the Western Empire. The defeat of Rome by the barbarian Huns of the North had been blamed on everything from decadence to lead poisoning, but one scholar, Dr. Richard Lewilson, claims that the anti-sex doctrine was responsible unless we can assume that the innumerable treatises in favor of asceticism were made literally, literary, literary efforts that no one except a few thousand monks and nuns ordered their lives after them. One is forced to conclude that sexual abstinence did more than did more than corruption to bring out to bring about the downfall of Rome. Again, sex is a natural function, just like eating, drinking, walking, and sleeping. Just as you hopefully don't glut your body with by gorging with food or drink till your belly jumps out, you also hopefully don't starve your body of nutrients or keep yourself from drinking liquids till you're all shriveled from thirst. All appetites are meant to be satisfied, not gorged and not starved. A happy medium. We use self-control. Someone may give you a gorgeous strawberry mousse cake, but that doesn't mean you dive in and eat the whole thing in one sitting. That would undoubtedly make you sick. A small slice after dinner, another small slice tomorrow with care. It would last a week or two. The same with sex. It's certainly all around us. It's not so difficult to come by nowadays, but it, just to grab the first available body is not the answer. In fact, that will probably disgust yourself with yourself and it could turn you off sex altogether for a while. Now, if you're a healthy person, you're going to have health sex drive you didn't ask for it you were born with it all healthy persons have sexy healthy sex drives it makes no difference if you're a priest, nun, school teacher, postman, race car driver, movie star, astronaut, or attorney. If you're healthy, it's there. Some of many, some of us may try to sublimate, sublimate in a religious activities or sports or act artistic endeavor, but it's still there, and wishing won't make it go away. Again, Dr. Eugene Scheinman says, Freud was not the first doctor to notice that people who got sick often had severe sex problems, but Freud was the first to make this a, a subject for science. His theories became the basis for psychiatry and the foundation of psychosomatic medicine he demonstrated that when sexual desires are repressed into the unconscious they often show up not only in dreams and accidents and psychological upsets but in organic deceits disease recent insights into human sexuality seem to suggest that not only was he on the right track but and in truth he didn't go far enough so what to do without a partner? Well, there are pros and cons to self-satisfaction. Michael, a character in Mark Crowley's off-Broadway play The Boys in the Band, believes that it cuts down to the wardrobe, wardrobe to your wardrobe, wardrobe needs. He says, "Well, one thing you can say for masturbation, you certainly don't have to look your best." Some people believe in it and do it all the time, and others are offended by the mere mention of it. I personally think that anything in life doesn't hurt you in any way, physically, mentally, or emotionally, or doesn't hurt anyone in or doesn't hurt anyone else physically, mentally, or emotionally, and is pleasurable and feels good and is healthful and is good for your circulation and well-being must be good. But if you feel like something, anything is not good for you and that thing, whatever it is, makes you feel guilty and don't think you should do it, this does for food what that you eat, liquids that you drink, actions that you make, and sex. I believe sex should always be with love, but then I believe that everything should be done with love. What is love? It's caring, caring about yourself, your family, your friends, your pets, your plants. What about caring? So, uh, what is love? It's caring, caring about yourself, your family, your friends, your pets, your plants. What is caring? 
taken care of so the love is to take care of so you truly love yourself you truly take care of yourself you take care of that you only put healthful foods and healthful drinks into your body and only healthful thoughts and feelings into your mind love is all pervasive so if you're living alone either through circumstance or through choice love should be in every part of your life too you should have no one to take care of but yourself you should have no one to take care of you but yourself so you have to take care of yourself caring is love and love is caring so you should care for your and pleasure yourself in every possible way that makes you feel good physically mentally and emotionally in the red book survey is this report act in the red book survey is this report the activity once thought to cause warts is now recommended to do all but cure them Therapists advise masturbation to survive sexually without a partner. In Sexual Confidence, Dr. Deborah Phillips says, The list of bad things about masturbation can be summed up in a word, nothing, except the attitude that masturbation is shameful. Masturbation is pleasure, and human beings specially endowed with great capacity for pleasure. The woman's clitoris, for example, has nothing to do with procreation the only function of the clitoris has it's to give pleasure isn't it remarkable that we humans have been given an organ that is only for sexual pleasure dr phillips goes on the reverend dr william Kirby, a protestant theologian states let's start with love is sex loving sex before or after marriage or before two individuals of the same or different sex cannot simply be placed into a category of good or bad or wrong or right or liberating or confining but rather whether it's whether 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 it is loving and she adds theologian and author rabbi reeve benner points out to jews sex is a blessing in the hebrew bible in the old testament and in the talmud judaism takes makes a strong argument against celibacy and for the raptures of love. And if you found the love of your life and you have a great relationship, but you're a lucky person, but if you haven't, don't deny yourself pleasure. Certain, certainly love is the all-time greatest pleasure in the world, but love comes in many packages. I believe in feeling good, so good as you don't hurt yourself or anyone else. The only possible thing that could hurt you is guilt. And if you're a loving person who's actively spreading love, there's nothing to be guilty about. Pleasure yourself as much and often as you can. Eat wholesome food, breathe clean, fresh air, drink lots of pure water, use all of your muscles, take good care of your skin and your body, do as many of the things that you can do to make yourself feel better physically, mentally, and emotionally. The joy of marriage. Now, we come to my favorite subject, marriage. I don't believe in living together, playing house, and I truly believe in commitment and marriage, and I think it's the greatest relationship that two people can ever have, a partnership with someone who loves you. What could be better? I also believe strongly, as I stated earlier, in faithfulness in marriage. I don't think you can break the bond of trust in marriage without seriously damaging the relationship, and I don't mean that he'll find out if she's fooling around or she'll catch him with another man. I mean the person who's cheating will feel damaged. That person will know the trust is broken and the relationship can never be the same. I hate it when a married man makes a play for me, even even if he's the handsomest, darlingest man about town, it truly distresses me. I don't want him to embarrass his wife by flirting outrageously with me or any other woman. And I'm really happy when a married man is attentive to his wife and acts like he's in love. It doesn't make a goo-goo eyes at me or anyone else. That might seem strange. You might think I will love any male attention. But again, for Nara's logic, a man who pays attention to his wife, who is polite and gracious but doesn't single out or flirt with other women, proves to me that it is possible to find a man who will be faithful, who won't fool around, and who can't be trusted. We can be trusted. The married man who ignores his wife and flirts with me would flirt with any other woman exactly the same way if he were to be married to me. I want a man who loves me, who is faithful because of his love and devotion to trust all those other beautiful beings that we all have but don't always use. 
feeling feelings that we all have but don't always use so why do so many people fall around aside of marriage why is there thousands of thousands of marriages that are broken up every day why do families split destroying children's emotional lives and traumatizing to be the broken partners i believe most of it stems from incomplete sex lives most most women are faking orgasms and are deeply dissatisfied sexually with their husbands and their marriages and are looking around for mr right to fulfill them in this very important way and the men fooling around and are doing it because they sense their wives are not deeply in love with them and all men like all women are searching for a deep emotional love deep love comes only when both partners are united heart to heart soul to soul and body to body now i've heard lots of people to say that sex isn't everything but that it's overstated in relationship people have told me that companionship and compatibility are what really count and that sex isn't that important nor or necessary for a happy marriage and that also that many many marriages are just as happy without it i totally disagree with this to me being married and living together without sex is like cooking a super delectable seven course dinner and saying you can look at it you can touch it you can smell it you can taste it but you can't eat it you can be married and compatible and love to do all the same things the kinds of things together but without sex your union is not complete and anyone who says it has it is has obviously got problems in his or her sex life and the marriage can't be a happy or a complete one. Of course, companionship is important in a relationship, very important, and having things in common is what makes you so compatible. The fact that you both love movies and hate picnics and adore dancing and loathe golf is part of what makes being together fun. But sex is one of the strongest and most important feelings that we have in life, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And to underestimate it is a foolish, as, as foolish as dangerous thing to do because it might lead to overlooked unhappiness in the boudoir. Instead of looking for solutions sure other things are important but don't ever forget that sex is the closest two people can get certainly physically you certainly can't get any closer but also believe there is a bond formed mentally and emotionally when sexual pleasure and is the ultimate joy of for, for both partners i believe god gives us sex organs so that we be bonded to each other in pleasure w forever within marriage sex was also given to us for procreation but if this were all it was for sexual feelings would then cease when a woman can't procreate when a man is unable to have children and they don't if a man and woman are truly sexually happy together there would be no reason for him him to her or her to look elsewhere for sex when a man and woman love each other and share their joy of ecstasy when they express their love and sex why would they look around a truly sad story i read a few years ago was told by a woman doctor in her 80s who has been very happily married right after the turn of the century. She was deeply in love with her husband, another doctor who loved her just as deeply. She told how one night at the beginning of their marriage they made love and she experienced the most incredible feeling of ecstasy that she had ever felt, a feeling her body exploding and expanding into space. Much later, she learned that what she had experienced was an orgasm. At that time, however, the ecstasy of the feeling was so intense that it frightened her and her husband to the extent that in later sex relations, she tensed up physically to keep herself from any further enjoyment of her husband's body union with her. They were both taught that a woman did not enjoy sex and that pleasure in the sex act was forbidden, forbidden for a woman. And she related how she died a few years later. What? How he died a few years later, and when she finally realized that her ecstasy with her mate was a beautiful and tender part of her love, something to be cherished, not feared, and that she had stopped it, she actually killed it. She actually killed all the physical joy and passion with the man she totally loved. Her regret was so profound that it filled her with a sadness that she could never shake for the rest of her life. How lucky we are today to be living in an era of openness in so many areas. Men and women today are frank in their discussions of sex. Years ago, there was so much shame and guilt. No wonder the Big Bang got started. Wham, bam, bam, and thank you, ma'am. Just do it fast and hard and get it over with. No wonder women and men have had so many sexual problems through the years. Shame and guilt and awful, shame and guilt are awful bedfellows. 
The great part of great love, a very, very important part, is expressing that love through sex. You hear about so many couples having unhappy sex lives because the wife isn't satisfied. I was in Salt Lake City recently with a friend of mine who was telling me about some problems in his marriage. He said their sex life was awful and his wife didn't really enjoy sex. They were both in their 20s and deeply religious Mormons. I explained to him about the Big Bang Theory and suggested to he follow my advice at least once to see what would happen. He called me next week in New York and said his wife had her first orgasm and was a different woman. His happiness floated right through the phone. Helen Gurley Brown is a truly beautiful woman, inside and out, and loaded with sex appeal. I'll never forget a couple of years ago when we both were in the same plane from New York to Los Angeles. She got up to stretch her legs, and every man in the place cried, craned his neck to watch her as she reached for her bag and then headed for the restroom. When I saw her later in Los Angeles at the baggage claim, I told her of all the men eyeing her and asked how she does how does she keep so sexy all the time? She gave me a great reply, which I would never forget. Helen said she feels so much love from her husband, David, then, and that's why he's, that's why it's with her all the time. And it makes her feel sexy all the time. Wow. Now, there's a great love affair and a great marriage. A few years ago, I created a phrase, pay attention instead of alimony. Alimony is expensive for men and women. Attention is, and attention is a part of, the, attention is a pat on the fanny. Eh, you look great. And even a simple I love you. And if you have trouble saying that all of you mm, from the book of the same name, attention is taking your spouse's hand while walking down the street, winking across a crowded cocktail party, calling long distance the night you arrive across the country and saying, I just wanted to know how I miss you. Attention is a lot of things, a lot of simple things. But most importantly, it's letting your mate know you care. You care how he feels, how she feels. You care how she looks. You care how he eats and drinks. You care how she keeps healthy. Caring is loving. Loving is caring. I've never met Hubbard Humphrey, but he was a good friend of someone very close to me who tells of Hubby's great love and a devotion to his pride and his wife, Muriel. He invited my friend to Minneapolis many times to have dinner to that Muriel could have her famous vegetable soup. Muriel makes the best vegetable soup in America, he said, so many times that even if she didn't, Everyone was convinced that she could outcook Le Escoffier. Hubert was a devoted, attentive husband who had a wonderful marriage because he not only loved his wife, he made sure she knew it. He made her a big part of his life, and that isn't always easy in politics. The few people who I know who have a happy relationships all pay attention instead of alimony. They have learned all the greatest joy in their whole world is to be deeply loved and cared for and pleasured sexually by your mate. This is truly the joy of marriage, and the joy of marriage is truly the joy of life. <clears throat> Other books by Nora Hayden, I Love You, Say It Out Loud, A Book About Love. A book all about love, learning how to care and love for yourself, learning how to tune into and feel loved by your giant self, God. And learning how to love and be loved by another person so that you can have a happy love life, a self-fulfilling sex life, a faithful marriage which will last a lifetime. Astrological love, a logical way to look at astrology, look written so that everyone can understand it. No confusing symbols, no hard to understand words. You can do a step by step chart on yourself or anyone else in less than 10 minutes. It's really easy. You can find out all your hidden personality and character traits. This book does not predict the future. Nara believes that no one but God can know what tomorrow will bring, but that astrology can help us to know ourselves a little better. Uh, a lot better. Astrological love would tell you a lot more about yourself, your loves, your others, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, ex-love, future mate, children, grandchildren, friends, enemies, and even thought possible. It's fun, easy, and amazingly accurate. Everything you've always wanted to know about energy, but you were too weak to ask about. One and a half million, million copy bestseller.
This book will get you physically, mentally, and emotionally energized so that you can overcome self-doubt, anxiety, and depression and attain all the good things in life you've dreamed and hoped for and deserve. The hip, high-pro, low-calorie, easy-does-it cookbook. A cookbook full of high-protein, low-calorie recipes, over 200 mouth-watering and nutrition dishes that will keep your appetite satisfied, your body healthy, and let you lose weight at the same time while you really enjoy these delicious salads, appetizers, dupes, meatless main dishes, cakes, pies, and lots of other delectable that make eating one of bright life's greatest pleasures. Nora Hayden. Nora Hayden is an actress, singer, and author, and co-starred in many TV shows with Don Rickles, George Kennedy, and many others. She had the female lead in several movies, including The Angry Red Planet, and is currently starring in the movie PK, filming Buenos Aires, Miami, and New York. How to Satisfy a Woman Every Time and Have Her Back for More is Nora's fifth book. She also wrote Everything You've Always Wanted to Know About Energy, But We're Too Weak to Ask, which sold over two, sold over 200,000 copies in, a, in hardcover and today over 1,800,000 in paperback. I Love You, Say It Out Loud, I Love You, and Astrological Love, all of which are still selling well. Nora testified before the U.S. Congressional Committee on Nutrition, citing the effect that poor nutrition has on all Americans, and she is an honorary fellow in the International Academy of Preventive Medicine. She invented Nora Hayden's Dynamite Energy Shake, sold in all health stores, and she put all mo- she puts all money due her into a foundation to supply free Dynamite Energy Shakes into prisons, mental health institutes, and youth centers, and old people's homes. Nora believes that crimin- criminals and feeble people and people with mental and emotional disturbances are a result of nutritional imbalances. Nora co-hosted AMNY, AMNY, was a regular on Good Morning New York and had her own radio show on YMCA, recorded an album saluting women songwriters, and then she wrote and just taped two pilots for her own TV show and radio shows, Nara's Good News. The 5'8", 135-pound Miss Hayden lives in a yellow townhouse on Manhattan East Side. She has a poodle named Seymour, a Karen named Toto, and three cats named Nathan, Sydney, and Maggie, a turtle named Oswald, Jackson Gulf's vitamins and vitamins and diamond energy shake every single day. She's impressive and impressionable, animated and ambitious, beautiful and bursting with energy. Awesome.